Hello and welcome to In Business, the Salisbury Area Chamber of Commerce podcast where we hope to inform, inspire, and engage you in the community and the Salisbury Area Chamber of Commerce. My name is Ryan Bass and I'm your host. 2020 is the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Chamber of Commerce and so it seems suitable that we start off our brand new podcast with a party. This month we had a business after hours at the Courtyard Marriott and it was quite a shindig. I sat down with our host Patty Shea and talked to her a little bit. There was food and wine and beer and local business leaders. The bartender broke into song. A great time was had by all and I captured all of it for you. Obviously I can't play you the whole evening but here are some vignettes. So I'm here at the Courtyard Marriott on the evening of the very first business after hours of 2020. And I'm here with Patty Shea, who's the director of sales for the Residence Inn and the Courtyard Marriott. Patty, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's exciting. And you're hosting this event. And what do you hope to get out of a, a business after hours event, a big event like this? Well, first of all, so excited about it because, again, it's the first of the year. And uh, I look forward to networking with my business peers within the chamber, hoping to enlighten them on what we have to offer at the two hotels. We have an extended stay version, which is the Residence Inn, and then the corporate hotel, which is the Courtyard, and how we can be a partner to the members of the chamber. This particular property does host a lot of corporate meetings. We have a lot of baby showers. We have bridal showers. What's the busiest time of year for... Oh, it's definitely the summertime. Yeah, we have a lot of sports tournaments in the summertime. December is a very busy time right after Christmas because we have the Governor's Challenge and that's a big basketball tournament held here in Salisbury. But we stay relatively busy throughout the year. We have a lot of tournaments throughout the year. The sports really keeps us going. What would you say the number one benefit you get from being in the Chamber of Commerce is? I would have to say the networking, the camaraderie with my peers and partnerships that we have. I offered the chamber members discounts on corporate meetings, on group business, if they have a wedding in their family or if they have a reunion or if their family are coming in from out of town and they just need a few rooms for the weekend. We don't have a a big catering operation here, so we partner catering and, uh, and it's fun. Patty, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you got a lot to do to make a successful yeah. event happen tonight. Uh, we're going to check back in with some of the guests later, and uh, I-, I wish you all the luck tonight, and have a great event. Thanks, Ryan. So I'm here with Melissa Giesland, the owner of Goosehead Insurance. Melissa, thanks so much for taking a minute and oh, speaking with me. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for speaking to me. <laughs> you bet. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, so I'm owner of Goosehead Insurance. We're a new insurance agency in Salisbury, Maryland, licensed in Maryland, Delaware, and Virginia, and we insure just about anything you would need to insure. Well, that sounds great. Uh, thanks so much for coming out. Why do you come to these business after hours? I get to mix and mingle with my current clients, and I always end up meeting a new business owner, maybe just new to Salisbury, or that has been in Salisbury for a while that I just get to meet, like Delmarva Digital or Tech Solutions. So it's just cool to connect with other business owners to see how their 2019 ended up and what their plans are for 2020. Awesome. If you could ask for one type of person to be referred to you or to introduce you to, who would that be or what kind of person would that be? That person would be a small business owner really looking to make every dollar in their business count. And insurance is one of the easiest ways to save money while getting the coverage that you need. Awesome. Melissa, thank you so much. And I'll let you you get back to the party.
a man of many talents. Please be kind to your bartender tonight. Let's recognize some of the elected officials and um, other decision makers here tonight. Is Bob Culver still here, Wacomico County Executive? And now I'm here with Bob Savage, the co-owner of Savage World Travel, uh, Dream Vacations. Bob, thanks for taking the time. Thanks. I uh, appreciate being here. You bet. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your business. So uh, I'm a retired uh, NASA employee worked for 36 years. And once I retired a couple years ago, I decided to get into uh, the travel business with my wife. And uh, we just love to travel. So we thought, what a great way to help people out and get them to see uh, see their dream vacations and bucket list items uh, get checked off. Well, and you're at a business after hours for the Chamber of Commerce. What brings you out to a business after hours? Well, it's a great place to network and get to know people and uh, just pass your business card around. And uh, It's a great group of people and uh, it's really nice to be here. And If I could direct one person your way, who's your ideal customer? It's somebody who has a passion for travel and they, they want to go somewhere special whether it be a cruise, whether it be a uh, uh, vacation to South America, Mexico, wherever, uh, staying in a resort, we can help them out. But we want to make sure that they are satisfied with what they're doing. Thanks again. I don't want to keep you from the party too long, but I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Bob Savage with Savage World Travel. Thanks again. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have a great night. From being away from home as best they can. So if you have any questions tonight, please stop either one of us. Please ask us about the tours. And most of all, have some fun and enjoy, okay? Pleasure to have you all here. Thanks so much. Thank you, Patty. You guys are great hosts. Patty steps up to the plate for the business community. I want to thank you and your great team here. So I want to go through a couple of quick upcoming events. Then I want to really briefly give you an update on where we are with legislative issues. As you know, the General Assembly in Maryland just started. Uh, we have tickets that are still available for the state of the Wicomico County Public Schools. If you care about public education in this county and how important it is to a thriving economy, because they are always going to be linked, you need to attend this event or send one of your folks. 11.30 a.m. at Parkside High School, January 27th. So it's coming up a couple of weeks from this coming Monday. Our installation ceremony for new officers and board members and board chair will be at Wildflower Estate Farm. That's Wednesday the 29th at 8 a.m. We'll have a great breakfast there, and our great clerk of the court, Bo McAllister, will be swearing in. Okay, I'm here with Valerie Eddy, a media specialist for WMDT. Valerie, thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely, Ryan. So this is, if I'm not mistaken, your first business after hours. It is my first. Well, welcome. We're so glad that you came out. Thank you. Are you having any fun? I'm having a great time. There's a lot of good people here. Tell me what, a little bit about what you do in your job. Well, my job is to search out or receive uh, small business owners and discover for them a marketing strategy to help grow their brand awareness. Do you feel like a networking event like a business after hours is something that would be helpful to you in reaching out to new businesses? The business after hours is where the chamber business people are at, so where else is better to meet business people specifically and exclusively? Agreed. Yes. Agreed. Well, thank you again so much for taking the time. I'm not going to keep you from the party for very long. Um, Valerie, thanks again. Thank you, Ryan.
won't tell. That's right. That's right. We won't tell. You're welcome. Now, another side note is that at either hotel, being chamber members, you do get uh, 15 to 20 percent off of um, meeting space or uh, group blocks, things like that. So whenever you call in and ask about information, make sure that you mention that you're a chamber member. Can we say it's 15 or 20? Yeah, it's 20. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Next winner, Sol oh, Del Marble Public Red, Hannah. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you again, Patty, the team. There's plenty to drink, plenty to eat, hang around. We appreciate it. We'll see you in February. If you want to see a room, let us know. No, they're not doing five-minute tours. I want to see My goodness, that was a good time. I wish you could have been there. As part of this new endeavor of creating a podcast and trying to make it informative and engaging and inspiring, I wanted to take some time each episode and sit down with one of our members and really get to know them. And this month, I sat down with Sean Hunt of McLean Mortgage. I'm joined by Sean Hunt, the Vice President and Area Branch Manager for McLean Mortgage Corporation, known locally as the leader of the Hunt team. Yes, yes. Thank Sean, you for having me. Thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me about your background. So I pretty much grew up in Salisbury. We moved here when I was eight years old. Went to school here, high school here, college here. Have been around here. Families from here. So it's it's nice to now have a business that is growing in this area and to see you know what Salisbury is doing and becoming. It's it's pretty exciting. How did your passion become? mortgages and, yep. and helping people own homes. So tell you what, when I got out of college, I knew I was wanted to be in sales. I was a psychology major and they're like, well, okay, if you really want to do anything, you got to go to more college. And at that point I was done. Here's the flag. I give up. So I knew I liked working with people and I wanted to educate. So I got into sales and that led me pretty quickly within a year or two after college into the mortgage business, okay. which back then was the heyday, you know, 2002, three, four great times. I remember. And I was like, oh, this is phenomenal. <laughs> and then 2008 came. I was scared to death. We just had our second kid and, and built a house and it was like, everything's great. And then all of a sudden you just saw it back down. So I got out for a couple of years. For about five years, I stepped out and did some other sales avenues. But funny, in 2013, three conversations with my pastor, uh, with a recruiter, and then just another realtor that said, you really need to get back into the mortgage business. And I'm like, you're out of your mind. Like, how am I going to do that? And sure enough, back in 2013, I had a conversation um, with somebody and they're like, this is a phenomenal idea. And we've kind of taken it from there and it's grown tremendously since then. Um, you have quite a team here and yeah. I know a couple of them. How big is your team? So right now in Salisbury, we have four loan officers. We have an underwriter and processor in-house. And then Beth, my wife, is also our office manager. And now we've grown to 79th Street in Ocean City, where we have Sam Kotzer and his um, assistant, Chris. Nice. So yeah, so we've grown. We have now have two locations. Uh, multiple loan officers to service the area. Well, I know you've seen a lot of success in the community. Uh, you're our featured member uh, of the chamber for this month. How has your membership in the chamber benefited you mm -hmm. or influenced um, your business? I tell you what, through the years, um, I've gone to a number of chamber events, not only in Wicomico County, Salisbury, but also in Delaware and Worcester County and things like that. And I hope people realize Salisbury Chamber is something special. People are involved. The, the business after hours, there's attendance. There's attendance at the meetings. 
and people really get to network together. It's not just, okay, I'm going to a chamber lunch and then we, we go on about our business. It's it's people you work with on a daily basis. And it is about helping others. A group that you and I are part of, you know, we're talking about that where, yeah, it's, it's nice to get business from these things, but how can I help the community? And it's really community focused and trying to, one, build everybody's business because that's the goal, but also what can we do to grow? And in an area like Salisbury that is doing some pretty cool things, especially in that downtown area about growing, it's nice to see what efforts we can put forth and, and where it's needed. And you're talking about our business before hours Correct. that we do the first and third Monday of uh, of the month. That I am. Shameless plug. Uh, is there a particular memory in building your business mm-hmm. that stands out to you? That first year that we were here, um, I'd taken kind of a, a leap of faith of wanting to grow my own team and what the heck am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, so when the opportunity was given to me to, to open and we were a company called GMH Mortgage at that time. And it was given to me to, hey, you know, grow your team. How do you want to grow? You know, what do you want to do marketing-wise? And I, it was kind of my first option to be like, run my own business and oh dear. That first year was pretty remarkable at how I was accepted, um, how the marketing was accepted in the area, how just people shared the news of what we were doing. Um, we were voted best mortgage loan officer and best, best team that year, even our first year. So just that full year of running that and seeing how the community accepted us as a new business into the area, um, not just the chamber, but you know, our business related relationships, our clients, and we continue to grow. And our business even, I mean, I think we were 150% of what we were the year before in a new transition year. Mm-hmm. So just seeing kind of that path that we took was pretty cool. And I know you have received several awards. Mm-hmm. Is there any particular achievement you're most proud of? Really, it's just the team. To me, I'm at a point in my career where, you know, success is nice and, and it's great that we're busy, but now it's seeing the team grow and it's seeing the individuals flourish that are a part of the team. We joke here that it is kind of a family. And one of my mentors, when we worked, we called it the clubhouse mm-hmm. and it was fun to go to work. And that's the kind of environment we have here where we're not just talking, you know, nine to five. We're talking on the weekends and hanging out and doing different things together with our families now. I run into a lot of people in mm-hmm. my line of work that say, man, I'd love to own a home or mm-hmm. I'd love to own some property. I just don't think that I'm able to right mm-hmm. now because of either credit issues or income issues yeah. or da da da. What would you say to somebody who doesn't think that they can own a home. You got to start somewhere. And it's usually with a conversation because I think there is, like you just said, there's a high percentage of people that just don't think they can do it for whatever reason. I don't have 20% down. My credit's not good enough. Well, what we're seeing in this market right now is guidelines are expanding. So you might not have to have pristine credit to get qualified. You might still qualify for 100% financing. There are assistance programs to help with down payments. There are programs where maybe we can't validate your tax returns, but we can look at your bank statements. There's all these different programs now that are available. So it's worth the conversation with a loan officer to kind of what I call it putting the puzzle together. Maybe we do have to create a plan. Maybe you don't. But if you stick with us for six months and we do A, B, C, and D, we can get you there. You know, the biggest misconception after all these years is still I have to have 20% down, right? which is not the case. I mean, I'd say a small percentage of the, the loans we do throughout the year is 20% down. In Wicomico County, especially in Sussex County, in those areas, there's a lot of first-time home buyers and, and, you know, primary residents. And in the markets we're in, they don't have that money. Right. So we can help them with that. What does the future look like for the Hunt team and for McLean Mortgage? Growth, more growth. You know, our goal is now to brand McLean Mortgage, Mm -hmm. um, is to brand, you know, the teams here locally. Um, I think our next area of attack, if you will, is Delaware. You know, we do a lot of business in Sussex County, but we don't have a physical office there. So that's one of my personal goals um, for 2020 is to have an office there. And I don't know what part that is, but it's just to expand. My personal goal for this year is to educate. I think Mm -hmm. in this business with everybody searching online so much these days, there's some misinformation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we just talked about some of those, you know, misconceptions in this industry. So with me, I'm trying to do more video education because that's where everything's going to social media of, you know, what are the logistics of a mortgage? How can you qualify? Why work 
local. That's a big thing, why work with local people. Um, so those are some of the things we're trying to do is expand, but expand the education of it so we can truly be advisors. Not We're not just salespeople here. We're local. You're going to see us out to dinner and our kids go to school together, but we want to advise you. Is there anything else that you think people should know about your organization? We are here to serve you. I mean, it's one of those things, um, not just for your mortgages, but we want to be involved. You know, how can we be involved in your lives? Not just for this 30 to 45 days of, you know, helping you buy a home, but how can we, you know, impact the community? Are there things that you're involved in that we could be involved in? And we want to be part of that culture for you because it doesn't end there because I have conversations with people weekly, monthly, social media, where we do see each other out, like I just said. So, you know, it's more and more, how can we grow and how can we grow in this community? You know, the big thing right now is rates are down. I mean, it's a good time to buy. It's a good time to refinance. I don't know how long we keep saying that rates are going to go back up and then they settle back down and, and we and we do this dance. But, you know, for anybody that's interested in a true consultation, we would love to sit down and talk to them. Thank you for sitting down and talking to me. Sean Thank you. Hunt, the vice president and area branch manager for McLean Mortgage Corporation and leader of the Hunt team. Thank you so much. Thank you. You guys should come down and see Sean. He and his team work hard. They have a beautiful set of offices right there on Main Street, and they're all super friendly and have a great time doing what they do. Another thing that I really wanted us to be able to do each month was meet a member of the board of directors. And this month, I was able to sit down with one of our board of directors, Donnie Waters, who was able to take some time and really dive in deep into his history and his involvement with the chamber. Welcome, Donnie Waters, to the podcast. Uh, Donnie is a management consultant uh, here in Salisbury. He's on the board of IPPS, IPS, which is a mentoring program. He's on the board of the Salisbury Area Chamber of Commerce, and he describes himself as a concerned citizen. Donnie, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Ryan, and thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you taking the time. Donnie, tell me a little bit about yourself. My pleasure. Um, as you see me, what you see is the investment of love for my community and my family. I'm here because someone loved me. My grandparents, Allie and Benny Waters, uh, they were born in 1920s when they were going through getting an education. You only needed 11th grade education to graduate from high school, which is what they did. And then they proceeded to um, raise the family. And uh, I'm the oldest grandchild, and I had outstanding love from them and direction from them. Now, as we speak, we're sitting in Guerrero Academic Commons yes. of Salisbury University, and you went to Salisbury University, didn't you? That is correct. I was an athlete coming out of high school. I, I was uh, nominated for um, um, All-American status by the local editor of the uh, Daily Times. I believe I was one of the first ever to come into Wacomico County getting that kind of recognition. And as a result of that, I got a lot of collegiate offers. The first university that I attended, I did not have a good experience there. And then I left, entered the workforce, worked for a number of years, Senior level executives were making poor decisions, business decisions, and it was impacting the workforce. And so there was a whole lot of layoffs and downsides and right sides. And I, I began to look at it and I said, I, I need to go back and finish up my degree. Since I was working in Salisbury, I um, enrolled in Salisbury at that time, Salisbury State University. And then I finished my degree, graduated with honors from the Purdue School of Business. How has your career path been since then? It has been intriguing. I have been fortunate enough to work for um, four multinational corporations. I've been involved in executive training programs for each one of those uh, on the pathway toward the executive suite. And along that journey, I um, experienced a very um, sensitive situation. And I have been owed over half a million dollars from a large corporation wow. that I would never see. And so that 
changed my perspective and I started looking at how can I help small business owners. I should also add that I uh, I received a Master's of Science in Industrial Management, primarily operation from Clemson University. So all of those techniques and all the training and the years of experience that I have, I, I wanted to bring that to bear on the issues facing small businesses in our area. You are a member of the board of directors for the Salisbury Area Chamber of Commerce. Tell me about what problem or problems you think the chamber solves. Today's chamber, in my humble opinion, has its finger on the pulse of not just the business community, but in addition to that, the broader community. So I'll, I'll take IPS, um, where Robert Williams is the executive director. And I had been encouraging him to make sure that IPS is part of the chamber. IPS was a struggling mentoring program in terms of financially, elevating this whole issue of what do you do about the formerly incarcerated and how can you better prepare them to reintroduce themselves to society? And it would behoove us as a society to, to provide educational programs or support in terms of parenting, mentoring programs, financial management programs, such that when they re-enter, instead of weighing heavily on the resources of the community, they become a healthy contributors to, to society. So Robert Williams has ensured that IPS is a part of Salisbury Area Chamber of Commerce membership. Bill put him in connection with uh, the State Chamber of Commerce Foundation. Uh, Ms. Ross, who is the executive director of the state-led Chamber of Commerce, put Robert in touch with various other potential collaborators and stakeholders that are working diligently in the community. And uh, man, he's just been enthused about this relationship and the kinds of uh, potential collaborations that are off in the future for him. I know that IPS is a cause that's very close to your heart. It is. When did you get involved? Interestingly enough, I had always resisted being involved with the incarcerated. One day I was in the Chamber of Commerce because I used to have an office downstairs and Robert Williams saw me and he had happened to see me on TV for an advertisement when I was teaching and mentoring for the Young Entrepreneurship Program that uh, the Chamber of Commerce has sponsored. And he claims that he was led to say, oh, there's Donnie. Let me go get Donnie and get him involved in what I'm doing. And so Robert reached out to me, warmly welcomed me to be involved. And at first I said, well, yeah, you've been working on this for a while. I'll see what I can do. And finally, I gave in because everybody needs encouragement, uh, support, a warm welcome. And sometimes that's all it takes. Everything is not necessarily about a dollar and money. Oftentimes, if we properly equip individuals with the right skills, the right techniques, you mentor them, you give them the kind of information that as they process it in their brain, they can then begin to make more sound um, decisions. I think we're just beginning to tap the potential of what IPS can become and what it can do. We're getting a lot of buy-in from local political stakeholders. Uh, the city of Salisbury is seriously considering being involved with our wastewater treatment program mm -hmm. to help educate a soon-to-be-released inmate, teaching them the whole ins and outs of wastewater treatment. Because across the nation, and even in our area, there are always jobs open and available in wastewater treatment facilities. Uh, I want to circle back to the chamber. Yes. Uh, do you remember the first time that you ever got involved? So my office at the time was downstairs along with the, the rest of the staff of the chamber. And Sophia Smecker would consult with me. She would come in and say, Donnie, what do you think about this? And how can we? Do, how can I do this? Or should we, in terms of the chamber, uh, do do this or take on this program? It seems like it's going to be a lot of work. And I, 
And we would go back and forth and I would encourage it and say, yeah, it is going to be work, but it's going to be well worth it because think of what you're doing now. You're taking the young minds. So you're now equipping them with the prospect of, hey, I may be able to be an entrepreneur. I may be able to take my idea from concept to writing a business plan, asking for money and actually implementing. Mm. So it was a great fit. I taught the majority of the curriculum and there was a real strong bond between those students and myself. Well, I know you're on the education committee. That's right. So teaching, learning, coaching, mentoring. I keep hearing some of these words from you. Have you had uh, an important mentor of your own? I have had uh, a very important mentor in my life, which would be my grandfather. He was a successful waterman and painter up until the point he died at 80 years of age. Mm -hmm. Never been unemployed, always been gainfully employed, had always been upbeat about life. And he also modeled what success looks like. Um, While money is great, that's not really success. That's just earning an income. It's about others. It's not about me and my family. It's about my neighbor and my neighbor's family and my neighbor's children. And so for me, he was critical. Speaking of giving back, what have you learned through your involvement with the chamber about the chamber's mission? And what do you think the future of the chamber looks like here in Salisbury? Every organization is connected. Now, you may have a challenge in terms of seeing that connection, that connection, but everybody's connected. And it behooves the business community and all those, all of those leaders to share their time, talent, and, and also their treasure with the larger community to help make it a healthy community. People say a, a, a rising tide lifts all boats in a harbor. And, and so if we practically put that at work in our community. And, and I'm, I'm not saying we don't. I'm saying we do, but we can do more. What would you say to someone considering joining the Chamber of Commerce here in Salisbury? Do it today as soon as possible. <laughs> so do you feel like that's a good investment of your business I dollars? I do. I think it's not only a good investment of your business dollars. I think the return on investment far outweighs whatever tangible return you think you see. The chamber is now in the 100th year of operation. And I mean, the multiple effect of who they've impacted and the various members throughout the community is probably beyond anything we can measure. Purdue Farms is also Mm -hmm. celebrating 100 years and it is a multi-billion dollar operation. I bet you they never imagined that it would become what it became. But They had an interest in providing for their families and also instilling best practices and being innovative and creative and inviting others to come in, join in with them in this this venture. And look at how that one seed has grown to be what it is now. Sure. Is there anything else you'd like to share with me Um, about yourself, about your life, about anything? One of the things that I, I quickly realized, coming out of high school, I realized it, but in college, it became even more pronounced. You have to have connections. You have to have a network of support uh, that can provide access, but also can sustain you, encourage you, advise you. It behooves you to set up a team mm-hmm. or to have other professional individuals, well-accomplished individuals who can guide, support, nurture, and even oftentimes throw in financial support. I think we're past the point of networking and we're moving more intently toward full and collaboration. Networking only means that you've been invited to the table to eat. Food is before you. You're there at the table, but you've not necessarily been given the instruction to eat. Collaborating means you're at the table, but you're also there to enjoy the meal and take part. 
and that you have a weighted vested interest to be respected around the table. But you're also there to pass the potatoes to the next person. Absolutely. Or the gravy. Or or the turkey. Or the turkey. <laughs> or the pitcher of water. I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's eat. <laughs> Donnie Waters, thank you so much for joining me and speaking about your life and your experience and, and the Chamber of Commerce and, and just your wisdom. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, sir. It's time to put things into perspective and it's time to learn a little something about the history of Salisbury. I thought that it might be helpful if we sat down and talked to a local historian, someone that knows a lot more than I do about Salisbury and Wicomico County and the very rich history that we all share. And this month I thought it would be helpful to find out what Wicomico County and Salisbury were like leading up to 1920 when the Chamber of Commerce was founded. And so I sat down with a local historian, Linda Dwyer, to find out more. Joining us now is Linda Dwyer. Linda is the Assistant Director of Julia A. Purnell Museum in Snow Hill and also the Chair of the Salisbury Historical Marker Task Force. She grew up in Salisbury, lives in Salisbury, and has written several books on the history of Salisbury, including By Foot or By Wheel, Mob Law on Delmarva, and Round the Pond. Linda, welcome to the podcast. 100 years, pretty impressive yeah. at this anniversary. But I also like to tell people that we are currently a dozen years away from Salisbury's 300th birthday. And that's in 2032? Mm-hmm. So that may seem like a far time, and it may be, <laughs> but I'm constantly telling people this now because this gives us an ex- excellent opportunity to really be thinking over the next 10 years or so how we want to know about the history of Salisbury, commemorate it, and that sort of thing. Salisbury started in 1732. It's not the earliest of towns on the Eastern Shore, but among the early Mm -hmm. towns of the Eastern Shore. The act that founded Salisbury consisted of five petitioners. John Caldwell, two Handys, one Gillis, one Disheroon. Some of those names are still very much part of Salisbury. They absolutely are. And also in the language of the act for 1732, the petitioners had described this place as a very convenient place for a town at the head of the Wicomico River. Mm. It didn't just say convenient place for a town, it said a very convenient place for a town. And I've thought about that a lot. That's probably traditional language, but it's an unusual statement in an act creating a small town. What was so convenient in 1732 about Salisbury when the place was pretty much in the middle of nowhere? You know, this was at least 100 years before any railroads. Sure. It was before really roads. Roads didn't really get constructed until beginning of the 1700s. And um, paths, yes, but the networks of transportation were the waterways, the rivers and creeks. And Salisbury is at the, the head of the Wicomico River. And also settlement in the in the 1600s followed the river, the edges of the river from the mouth at the Chesapeake Bay. So we're about as far away from all of that. We are. As you could think, you know, it's like, why here? Why in Salisbury? And why was it convenient? And why was it convenient? Well, I've thought about that a lot. One thing that made it convenient, especially to 
John Caldwell, was that the headwaters of the Wicomico River are really formed by water from three different directions. There is a north tributary and an east tributary, and then what's called Parsons Creek, which had several names, Mm -hmm. plus several little pieces of waterways that fed into all of that. So you have all this water that confluences right uh, where the Wicomico River formed, which is right where, about where the Mill Street Bridge is today. It's a lot of source of water, and I would imagine that he who controls the upstream reaches of, of a water course controls commerce, is my sure. thinking of it. Uh, so when they say we're the crossroads of Delmarva, originally we were the cross streams of Delmarva. Yeah, there was no railroads that you could count as um, crossroads at that time. There sure. was no roads that you count as crossroads. There was no crossroads. Sure. We just had water. Okay. But the second thing is the development along the Wicomico River upstream accelerated dramatically between like 1650 uh-huh. and 1700 and 1732. It was getting filled up with land grants, immigrants, Europeans coming stake out their pieces along the rivers. Um, it was getting pretty filled up. So by the time 1700 came around, much of that land south of there was, was taken by land grant. But to the east, in the northeast, nothing. That central area of Delmarva, the peninsula, was largely a no man's land. It was among the last of the areas of the peninsula ever to be given land grants, mm-hmm. patents, and that sort of thing. So there was room to grow. But then there is another fact. That same area northeast of the headwaters of the Wicomico River, stretching a vast area, at that time was Old Somerset County, Mm -hmm. huge. It stretched from the Nanticoke River and the Chesapeake Bay all the way east to the uh, Atlantic Ocean and north, north into uh, parts of present-day Delaware, practically to Dover. Uh, It was a huge county, but in the 1700s, that whole area from east, part of Wicomico County, Worcester County, all the way to the Pocomoke River, and northern into Delaware to the Dismal Swamp. All that area had a great vast resource of timber, untapped timber, and that was probably the most driving force of commerce in Salisbury. So insofar as there was industry and trade, you're saying timber and lumber was the the primary driver. That's what contributed to it. Right away, John Caldwell started built two mills and you built you don't just build a grist mill grist mill is for farm products sure food wheat and flour yes sure you uh you also have a lumber mill not sure if john caldwell's was the first there was also um a bailey's mill on the north tributary um that feeds into the wacomico river his was on the east tributary right at where um, division street is mm-hmm. uh, close to the library and after he built his his mills, they proliferated all through the area so that was now Wicomico County had a large number of lumber mills as early as the 1700s and mill ponds and all designed for that untapped resource available to them. So, and that, like I said, that was the time before railroads, before roads, and it was a slow process before any mechanization to make the life easier. It was before the north end of the Wicomico River being dredged. The dredging didn't occur until the late 1800s and because it's very shallow here and it's also because all the silting from all these little tributaries, it prevented larger boats 
from making their way all the way up to Salisbury. Mm -hmm. In the 1700s, to deal with the timber industry, they shipped all their timber down the river. They would lighter them two miles down the river from Salisbury to about Tony Tank Creek and Shad Point and an area called Cotton Patch where the bigger boats that was about as far as they could go up the river. And they would transfer all their lumber products to the bigger boats to go south towards the uh, Chesapeake Bay for to go to Baltimore, Philadelphia, and all these places. So the timber industry was here almost from the, the very beginning. And how long did that last before it was basically tapped out? Well, I found a 1901 article talking about the timber industry. And they were describing that time period as where the first, the loss of the first virgin pine mm. Forests. Everything else was uh, secondary growth. The person writing the article felt that uh, the secondary growth was not as best quality as the first original virgin uh, white pine. But they continued to do timber industry, at least in the 20s and 30s and maybe beyond that. Oh, wow. It made millionaires of people in Salisbury. So I guess I didn't realize just how much the timber industry extended back to the beginning of Salisbury. Salisbury had a rough beginning. Why so? In the late 1600s on the Maryland Eastern Shore, the colony did create towns for trade. Snow Hill was one of those, and several on the uh, Chesapeake Bay side, but not many. After that period, or in the 1700s, people are trying to create their own towns, mm -hmm. trying to find the best spot. Some started and died out. Some moved, changed their mind. I think Whitehaven is one of those. It was originally slated for the other side of the river. Also, there was speculating as to what would happen with the county, because it was such a huge Somerset County that they knew it would eventually be divided up where the county seat's going to be. So there's a lot of speculators trying to figure out the best place to have a town and make money. So now, which came first? I know they split up uh, Somerset, but was it Worcester that came first? Yeah. Um, as I said, the Salisbury started in 1732. It had a slow beginning. It got 15 acres out of Pemberton's Goodwill uh, land grant to have 20 lots and they couldn't get rid of them all, <laughs> you know? Wow. So it had a very slow beginning. 10 years later, uh, 1742, they created Worcester County. And Worcester County's western boundary comes along where Division Street is, and it split Salisbury, although most of Salisbury at that time was on the uh, western side of that. And in the language of the act that created Worcester County, it doesn't even mention Salisbury. In describing this western boundary, it referred to the road that leads to John Caldwell's mills. Hmm. They didn't once mention Salisbury, even though it was 10 years old. So it was not much of a town for quite some time. So when was Wicomico County created? I was in 1867, I believe. Might have my date, but a century later. So for a long time, Salisbury was split between two counties. With the primary industry being lumber. Yeah. yeah. So when did the railroad come to Salisbury? It came partially uh, south from Delaware. Delaware created a line down from Wilmington before the Civil War. And right before the Civil War started, or at that time period, it was extended down from the Delaware line down to Salisbury and stopped. Uh, they didn't extend it beyond that until after the end of the Civil War. And the East-West uh, Railroad was not created until after the Civil War. So now we've jumped from 1742 to the 1860s. How had Salisbury changed in that 120-year that period? I know you said it was slow going. Well, the, there's a 1798 direct tax 
listing up it gives great detail of what the buildings downtown are down in Salisbury, mostly warehouses and some homes, dwellings, quarters for slaves and that sort of thing. But it was a mishmash of places, like including a, a tavern, you know, and a store, but not huge by any standard. Salisbury had two major fires, 1860 and then 1886. It was described as major in 1860, but it was a lot smaller town. By 1860, there wasn't new areas called Newtown and Camden were only just starting to become suburbs. <laughs> to give you an example, in the 1798 direct tax description, the area where uh, where the standpipe is, Lemon Hill is called, okay. was considered a suburb of Salisbury. Huh. So to give you some idea just how small it was by you know the end of the 1700s. But in 1860, it was still a pretty small place. So a fire would, didn't take much to damage most of Salisbury. The Salisbury just escalated in size and population right before the big fire of 1886. Why do you think that is? I think that would have mostly to do with the railroad. Which was also completed arrival. in 1860. Well, it came, came down to um, Salisbury in 1860. Okay. So from then on, for a change, we had access to um, the railroad at, as a terminus. And it seems as if between 1860 and 1886, a lot of people came to Salisbury thinking there was some opportunity here. And the railroad was probably added to that uh, feeling that there's opportunity here. For example, the Ullman brothers came from Pennsylvania and they had family in Baltimore. They came down and immediately uh, started several businesses. A Jewish family started several businesses. John Tracy came from Philadelphia around 1860 and he's really started the first Catholic church in Salisbury. Mm -hmm. He also had a big hand in starting the Catholic Church in Ocean City. He came to Salisbury to uh, manage the uh, Pen Peninsula Hotel. Okay. That was his background, managing hotels. And then on his off-season, uh, he went to Ocean City and was an investor in the Atlantic Hotel, the first Ocean City Hotel. And he was a big presence in trying to get the Catholic Church to start there. And then some of the people he knew came to Salisbury, and they had worked on the railroad. So a number of people who had had, had jobs working for the railroad. They got to the end of the railroad and said, that's it, we're going to just live here. <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> okay. Then too, as it kind of grew, the, the timber industry grew, more and more businesses growing at a rapid rate between 1860 and 1886. The type of business has changed. You had stores. I was amazed how many grocery, wholesale and retail, retail grocery stores, you know, in Salisbury around Main Street, other streets, um, liquor stores, a lot of liquor stores. <laughs> uh, the first jeweler, Amos Woodcock, came early just before the 1860 fire. And, um, and, that his business eventually became what is today called Coons Jeweler. Okay. So there was a lot of people coming, coming, now, was, coming to Salisbury. Was Salisbury by 1886 or so, was was it a hub yet uh, for the area or, or by not By 1886, quite yet? you had the two, two major railroad lines. One after the Civil War, the North-South Railroad line extended all the way to the bottom of the Eastern Shore to Cape Charles, and then the railroad line east to west, Ocean City, and that sort of thing. So we became a crossroads in terms of railroads. We also became, although we didn't have the major highways, more and more roads were being built. We were truly a crossroads, and our the railroad, even before it was extended south, 
its terminus here was very advantageous because it connected railroad service and ship service in, at Salisbury. And, and in fact, one of the most prominent and wealthy timber magnates, who was a one-term governor, E.E. E. Jackson, he was from the Delmar area. He moved, he and his brother and his whole family moved to Salisbury in 1860 after the, they saw that the uh, railroad was extended to Salisbury. I'm sure they realized the importance of having that commerce there, a railroad and the steamboats and to the water. Otherwise, Delmar might have gotten bigger, <laughs> you right. know, but we had the water. And so by then, with the railroad and, and like you say, the steamboats, even though timber was still king, were we seeing a greater diversity of industry and oh, yes. commerce? Oh, yes, yes, commerce. In fact, at the time of the 1886 fire, I took a look at all the businesses or most of the businesses that were here, either affected by the, the fire or not. You know, uh, it was becoming a, a true town in the sense of groceries, shops, mm-hmm. you know, store people that did everything from selling boots to shoes to watches, and then also the growing produce farm agricultural business on the eastern shore. Okay, that was also key to groceries. You know, and to shipping produce off the eastern shore to like Baltimore and uh, Philadelphia market. Now, I genuinely don't know, but to what degree did the watermen play any part? I'm sure there was a part to it, but uh, I think it was more just a means for commerce to ship things. Well, I also know that watermen did bring their wares here because I know after the 1886 fire, all the groceries had been destroyed by the fire. Right. And there was an article in the paper about, oh my God, you know, the groceries are destroyed, but there was a shipment of oysters. Uh, The watermen brought oysters. Let them eat oysters. At that time, there wasn't the price that we think of in terms of of oysters, of seafood. But they, you know, they brought um, seafood as a way to help. At that time, uh, there wasn't a Chamber of Commerce, but there was a Board of Trade. I don't know a lot about the boards, but when you think in terms of 18, when Comico County was formed, 67. 67, yeah. And um, the courthouse wasn't built for another 10 years. Yeah. Um, And it was fairly brand new. By the time of the 1886 fire, caught fire a couple times, but it was safe. All the business that you would normally do in that time period was done in buildings downtown. You know, the town hall would be, there's a couple of different buildings that were used for that purpose to have town meetings and that sort of thing. I enjoyed reading the the accounts after the 1886 fire because they weren't going to be repeating the same problem again about rebuilding in, in wood. Everything got rebuilt in brick. Which is funny for a timber town, you would think. <laughs> well, it made the brick company very <laughs> happy. Very well, yeah. <laughs> but there was concern about widening um, some of the streets, Main Street and parts of Division Street, to make it a little harder for fires to spread in addition to the uh, use of the brick. And uh, initially it was going to be, I forget, five, five feet on each side uh-huh. of the road. But somewhere along the line, that changed to two and a half feet on each side. And uh, John Tracy was the the lead guy of the town council or whatever they called themselves at that time. He was advocating the wider five feet side, but the rest voted against him for the narrower two and a half. But I, I like to tell people that what you see on Main Street downtown, you know, the width of the buildings are a result of that. It could might have actually been wider by, by five feet if, it, if John Tracy had had his way. Two people had voted to to have it. But it would have been hard because after the 1886 fire, you know, the foundations remain. Sure. Uh, When you see photographs of after the fire, it's striking because 
Everything was wooden except the chimneys and the foundation. So you see a sea of chimneys everywhere yeah. from the buildings that were destroyed. And so widening, if they wanted to use their same foundations, it would have been harder for them um, to make it wide. So, that makes but, sense. Um, so, but one thing that did change between the two, two fires, 1886 and 1886, was that during that time uh, and before, residents and businesses occupied Main Street. Okay. Houses next to warehouses, shop buildings. You know. So not much zoning. No, no, no zoning whatsoever. Okay. Salisbury has a history of where the, the second floors, many of those became apartments or residents of some sort. Right. Till today, in which you know, it's either condos or apartments. So turn of the century, uh, economic growth is slowing down. It seems like big retail businesses starting to come to yeah, the area. Yeah, yeah. Um, that would be true. Well, you figure the turn of the century into the 1900s, some real major changes are happening. First of all, the, the rebuilt after the 1886 fire was far faster than I ever expected. It was fast. It probably helped that the fire was right before Christmas, so they probably had incentive <laughs> to get back and rebuild sure. it real quick. But then in with the new century, they had newfangled things like electricity. Yeah. Light um, horses soon were soon on the outs. So the auto- automobile was on the in. So there were real major changes, and that contributed to a lot of the business as well. So yes, we, they started getting bigger. Uh, Montgomery Wards was in two places downtown. The second place was where the the Powell Building, which is getting out of renovation right now, mm-hmm. or planned, and Wards did come to downtown. Then later. Things like Hess, Benjamin's, um, all the very big department stores uh, came to downtown. I feel like history is often marked by disasters. And the history of <laughs> Salisbury, you talked about the fire in 1860, the fire in 1886. Mm-hmm. Do you know much about the 1909 Division Street Dam failure? Yeah, I have a one. There's a wonderful bird's eye view of Salisbury. And when you see this bird's eye view, you can see it at the NAB Center. You can see it used to be at the library downtown. Mm-hmm. And I have a copy of it. Um, it just shows you just how big Salisbury was. And it showed Humphreys Lake. So it was there was no date on it, but it had to be drawn <clears throat> shortly before the lake drained. I've got different stories on how that happened. One, there was a storm and it washed out bridge at Division Street. But also I had read that there was a lot of heavy equipment on the roads repairing, mm-hmm. upgrading the roads. And there was one theory that they weakened <laughs> the dam, you know, on Division uh, but regardless of how it happened, the lake, the huge lake that dominated much of downtown Salisbury disappeared. Wow. And in short order, there was a Salisbury Realty Company <laughs> that, uh, that combined all those properties that were underwater and began selling lots. At one pot before that loss of the lake, Main Street ended at Division Street. Wow. Once the lake disappeared, Division Street was extended. And if you ever t- drive it, from right where Main Street and Division are, you take Main Street at the east, you can sense that how it's going downhill. Yeah. That's because it was underwater. That's crazy. You know, that was an area underwater. So, yes, it disappeared and it was a boom to property development. So I've known people that moved to the area and everybody here has moved to this area. But uh, a, lot, a lot of people don't understand what they're seeing at the park. When you go to the park where the grandstand is or if you drive all around it, and you notice you're looking down. Right, almost like a, bowl. like a bowl. Yeah. That's because that was part of the lake. Anything uh, you can think of leading up to 1920 that we should talk about? 1920. Because that was a big year. Purdue, the Chamber, the Rotary Club, they're all celebrating their 100 years this Not year. Not to mention a little thing about the women's vote. Oh, uh, yeah? Was that in 1920? Nice. Mm, that's 
a lot of questions are out. A lot of people are researching that. So in the teens, we had a lot of suffrage events going on, maybe? Well, I'm still trying to track yeah. that down. A lot of those things didn't make the newspaper. And and looking through newspapers on that year is difficult because every now and then you'll see articles about, you know, I don't know if we, you know, we have to educate these women so they know how to vote. One event that happened in, in Salisbury that few people know about until recently was um, 1880, before the big fire. We said we had a famous person come and speak in our courthouse, which was Frederick Douglass. Oh, nice. And I've learned even more recently that he came by train, so he would have exited the uh, the depot and walked down Church Street. Um, my first book was involved in the Church Street mural. Mm-hmm. See that? I don't believe I have. No. This is where Route Church Street and Route 13 come together. Very bus- busy intersection of where the Chipman Cultural Center is. Okay. Uh, one of the buildings was a corner building was a small building it was torn down by the city, and on the the face of the building, the Bradley Building that's still there, a mural went up, and you. You'll see it if you're stopped at the light there. <laughs> I'll go check it out. And Mayor Jake Day had public meetings to ask people what they'd like to see on that mural, recognizing the fact that, that mural location was where an African-American neighborhood, two neighborhoods were, mm-hmm. were that have changed dramatically because of the two highways and most of which has disappeared. So uh, we, ha- we had community input and they decided they wanted to have depicted on that wall African-Americans who were known for their influence, prominent in that area and in Salisbury. And there are five depicted there on that mural. All of them mentioned in my book. I was surprised that they picked, picked those. But one of those was a Sergeant William Butler. And he, in 1919, he was in World War One. He was the famed 369th um, African-American troops fighting alongside the French in World War One, And in a war in which, at that time, no African-Americans were given the uh, Medal of Honor. But he got the Distinguished Service Cross, and he was from Salisbury. And the Karate Gare, if you say that correctly, from the French. He got every major award except the Medal of Honor, and no one got it at that time. However, we found evidence that there was paperwork that recommended him for the Medal of Honor, and we're still working on that. But he's one of the five depicting, and he returned, and I might have been 1920, when he returned and got celebrated in the John Wesley Church an honor, given place of honor in the July 4th parade, <laughs> you know, um, special honors when you return to Salisbury. So, And that was in 1920? I think so, 19 or 20, but it was 19 when he fought, the fall of 1919 was heroism occurred. And that takes us to 1920, and that is where we're going to end <laughs> this particular conversation, but Linda Dwyer, the assistant director of Julia A. Purnell Museum in Snow Hill, and author of By Foot or By Wheel, Mob Law on Delmarva, and Round the Pond. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your vast knowledge of Salisbury history with us. Thank you. That was one of the most informative hours I have ever spent. I can't wait to share with you the rest of our conversations um, about the 1920s and the 1930s. All of that will be in upcoming episodes of the podcast, but you'll just have to wait and see that. Linda was super generous with her time, and I look forward to talking to her again soon. This month, we had an installation breakfast out at beautiful Wildflower Farms, where the new members of the Voting Council and the Board of Directors were sworn in by Bo McAllister and Carrie Todd, the chairman of the board of directors gave a wonderful speech that I thought would be perfect for the podcast. And so she has graciously consented to record it again for your listening pleasure in a segment that we're going to call Chairman's Corner, Carrie Todd. 
Thank you everyone for that introduction. I accepted year two without hesitation. During the past president's tour, I learned that most of the past presidents said they would have liked the option of a second year. They felt like they were just getting started and I feel the exact same way. So here we go. I ended with this quote last year, but wish to begin with this year. I have followed Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. my entire life. My mom told me I shared a birthday with him as an elementary schooler. So I looked him up in our encyclopedias. For those of you that don't know what an encyclopedia is, that is a book that has limited information in print, unlike the internet. Dr. King was a true scholar, minister, orator, civil rights activist, and much, much more. My favorite Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. quote is, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. And moving forward is exactly what our chamber accomplished in 2019. My promise to you is we will continue to change and move forward. Doing things the same way will not align with our 2020 vision, but honoring the tradition of our 100-year centennial celebration will. What an absolute year that we had. We recently sold the building. We're taking over a new space. We've added additional member benefits and our mission-driven 2020 focus is working for our members. Our mission is still a triangle of sorts. We believe in networking, education, and advocacy. Networking, let's start there. We held multiple Eastern Shore joint chamber mixers, including Layton's Chance Mixer with Dorchester County that had more than 200 attendees, Two Fridays ago, we had the Crisfield Luncheon with upwards of 100 attendees, including Comptroller Peter Franchell. Thank you, Bill Chambers and Shona, for hosting him and bringing him down to Somerset County. I have a picture to prove it, but Bill was in the picture. The state of the Wicomico County Schools was just recently, and why is that important? It is investment in our future. How many have tried to hire a plumber over recent years? How long does it take to find one of those? and then get them to show up. So again, investment in education is highly important and it needs to start in preschool and then follow through all the way up through high school. We also held our pre and post legislative breakfast and luncheons with each having more than 100 attendees. And with our economic forecast this year, we had more than 200 people attend. How about that Pohanka party? That was a heck of a networking event. They too celebrated their centennial anniversary in 2019. We've got many joint events planned for 2020. We've got Dorchester and our chamber again. And then we have February Sussex chamber event and several others that are planned. New for 2020, we have our lead share and business before hours. Thank you, Greg Riddell, Aaron Guy, and Ryan Bass for starting that group. We've gained more than 10 members and it's almost growing weekly. It is completely included with your chamber membership and that's a big deal to sell to our future members. On the education front, we held real ID seminars, Department of Labor workshops, a cyber information session, Kerwin education, social security and retirement, just to name a few of the education ideas that we did include. Our education committee has in upwards of 18 active members, and we also helped push the superintendent's budget forward in 2019 via speaking at the county council meetings, along with many member businesses. 
Advocacy, which is our third arm. Let's look back three years ago. We held monthly advocacy meetings with about five committee members. Advocacy was revamped to business and government affairs. Now we have more than 15 active members. Ask Bill. Advocacy was very weak for me. I voted. That was my advocacy and involvement. Now I have a much more educated opinion. Obviously, I don't share my opinions, and that's because I've always been in sales. I've even watched some presidential debates. Who would have thought of that? Bill brokered a meeting with prior Senate President Mike Miller and Speaker Bush over the course of 2019, and we've had him on the shore, and the shore has a voice. We gained a carve-out because of our chamber for farm stands for the agricultural sector to keep the mandated minimum wage away because that is the difference between going in the red and the black for our farmers, which are very important to our community and our commerce on the Eastern Shore. This year, we will be celebrating our centennial year. It's not a chamber fundraiser. It will be a celebration. We have a team of powerful, driven past presidents as committee co-chairs, which I am greatly appreciative of. It will be a cruise out of Cambridge with receptions at the Hyatt. Woohoo! Music, dancing, mingling, laughing, lots of fun. We're going to celebrate our 100 years with upcoming multiple vignettes about our history, all via various platforms, on social media, the news, etc., and that's all starting in April. We also have our last year of the National Folk Festival in Salisbury. Salisbury is also very much changing. We have our infrastructure improvements taking place, and I'd really like to request that you patronize Old Town Deli, Angelo's, Mogan's, and all the other downtown chamber member businesses while the improvements do take place. It will all be worth it. I do want to recognize Chris Eccleston and Mike Byerly for their past commitments and volunteering and leadership. Um, Again, volunteering takes time and we all have other jobs and priorities. Chris started a business, had a baby, then had another baby, and he still took on a leadership position. Mike has now moved on to Annapolis and we want to wish him well. And I look forward to still working with Chris because he is our foundation chair. To our chamber team. Kathy Diekman, Cindy Chambers, who do seem to work 24-7 for everyone. They do text and email at all times of the day, evening, weekends. Sometimes I respond and sometimes I wait so they don't keep working. Vita also came on board in April and took on a new role with the event coordinator position, and she has never missed a beat. And to Debbie, she keeps our finances rolling along. They have some wonky walk-ins in the downtown Salisbury area. They greet them graciously and always make time when I come into the chamber or make my 911 call to whoever answers the phone asking, where am I supposed to be right now? I sincerely appreciate each of you. Then there is Bill. Wow, what a year I have had. And he's literally walked with me. To say I was nervous to take on the chamber chair role is an understatement. He had way more confidence in me than I did, but somehow I am going into year two. He is driven and passionate, loves politics, has the nicest dog ever, and I'm glad the chamber team keeps him straight. Oh, and my husband likes him, so that's a bonus. A sincere thank you, and let's do this again. Thank you for all of your time. I want to welcome each and every new board member, and farewell to Mike and Chris, and I look forward to leading you, working with you, and walking with you throughout 2020, and we will celebrate our 100-year celebration in September. Stay tuned. Thank you. Finally, the CEO update from our president and CEO, Bill Chambers. 
Hey, it's Bill Chambers, President and CEO of the Salisbury Area Chamber of Commerce, and this is our monthly CEO report. So a lot of people have talked about the Chamber of Commerce moving. We're celebrating our 100th year. Uh, it's only by coincidence that we're moving, and it's our 100th anniversary. We're actually not moving from downtown at all. We will be a storefront location, one block from our current location at 200 East Church Street. Uh, it's an old uh, Baptist church. It's a beautiful building. It's uh, right there uh, at facing a business route. 50, so we'll have great visibility, still be downtown, and still be close to servicing not only our downtown members, but the entire regional membership of the chamber. Uh, on the legislative front, we are in the beginning stages, the first 30 days of the Maryland General Assembly session, and it's a busy session. Uh, funding for uh, additional education investment is the hot topic. Uh, many of you have heard about the Kerwin Commission. That's the Commission on Innovation and Excellence in Education for Maryland. A big price tag that Maryland would like to invest in public education improvements over the next 10 years. And there are a lot of pieces of legislation in Annapolis trying to figure out ways to raise that money, which is a little over $4 billion between state and local investment over the next 10 years. So we're monitoring several bills in Annapolis. One in particular, it's Senate Bill 2, and that would tax uh, streaming uh, advertising and online advertising. It would be the first of its kind in the country. It's being closely followed by the giants like Google and Facebook. Uh, we'll be testifying on that bill uh, as it comes up for a hearing in mid February. Uh, a good piece of legislation, good news, uh, the chamber spearheaded an effort last summer to create a carve-out in the minimum wage bill. Uh, there'll be an exemption, a bill that will exempt farm stand workers uh, from uh, the minimum wage. So farm stands, there are about 1,500 uh, in Maryland, mostly are family-run farms. So those young folks who are high school and college kids, most of these folks, so this is their first job, they will be exempted from the $15 an hour minimum wage. Uh, not having that exemption would certainly put a, a, a hurt on these family farm stands, if not put them out of business completely. They just will not be able to compete with commercial markets. Markets that will be paying the $15 an hour. Their, their prices for produce, vegetables, and, uh, and those kinds of things just won't be competitive at the $15 an hour rate when that takes effect statewide in 2025. So that's a good piece of legislation. That's uh, Senate Bill 403, and the sponsor is a good friend of the Chamber of Commerce, Senator Mike Miller. And our senator here on the Lower Shore, Mary Beth Carosa, is going to be one of the co-sponsors. That's coming up for a hearing in late February, and the chamber will be in Annapolis to testify in favor of that, along with members of the Farm Bureau, the Wicomico Farm Bureau, and some family farm owners. Um, so that's a good thing. I don't see any other further carve-outs for the minimum wage. I know the hospitality industry would love to see it. I don't see any other movement on that this year. Uh, this, this is going to be a tough year to get uh, other uh, bills enacted that are going to protect business. Uh, the other bill that probably won't make it out of committee this year but will be back with a vengeance next year is the paid family medical leave bill that will require all employers, including small employers, to now grant up to five days of family medical leave. This is on top of the mandatory leave that we had in place two years ago that was passed by the General Assembly, vetoed by the governor, and then that veto was overturned. Uh, that bill will probably, again, not make it out of committee this year with all of the other things happening in Annapolis, but will certainly make uh, make it out with a vengeance next year. Locally, 
We're hoping the city and the county get their act together and approve a memorandum of understanding to bring city water out to the Salisbury Regional Airport. This is a key to have the airport continue its economic development. They're starting a brand new drone operation at the airport here in the coming months. Uh, the airport is, is like our public school system, an economic driver. So we need that city water uh, pumped out to the airport. Uh, we're hoping that they, uh, the city and the county figure it out and get it done. Uh, some upcoming events I just want to highlight that I think uh, not only our ambassadors or other committee members, but our members at large should uh, should take note of. Our big craft beer festival is Friday the 7th at the um, beautiful Southern Bell Barn, right up 13 in Del Mar, Maryland. So it's about five to 10 minutes from downtown Salisbury. Easily accessible from anywhere. We have 13, maybe possibly 14 breweries that are going to be there. We even have a brewery coming from the Western Shore over in Calvert County. We have breweries from Virginia and Delaware as well. This is a great event. Your ticket in advance is just 25 bucks. It includes unlimited tastings as well as we have a complimentary buffet that will pair with most of the beers. For $25, you can't beat the evening. Uh, we'll have some music. Uh, there also is a designated driver ticket available at 15 If you do not purchase your tickets by next Thursday, February 6th, the ticket price is $40 at the door. So I'd encourage you to get your tickets now. Uh, that's going to be a great event. Coming up in March on the 25th, we have our annual Spring Soiree. This is at the Ward Museum. This is a great evening. Demonstrations by the Wicomico Public Schools CTE program students. Everything from robotics to cosmetology to construction. They set all of these demonstrations up. And then we also have unlimited wine and beer. We have great hors d'oeuvres. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful evening, and it supports our public schools and these amazing students who are looking at these alternative careers uh, through the CTE education curricula at Parkside High School. Tickets are available on our website now for that event. I encourage you to continue to support public education in Wicomico County. It's essential we continue to keep the heat on to support uh, Dr. Hanlon's Imagine 2022 plan and we keep the heat on our elected leaders to understand how important a strong, high-achieving public education system is for our county and for our economy. That's the big driver of an economy is a successful public school system. Lastly, I encourage everyone, get involved with the Chamber. We're here to serve you. We're here to make connections. We're here to help you grow your business, and we appreciate your volunteerism. Those of you who serve on committees, we could not operate this Chamber of Commerce and move it forward as we are without the literally dozens of dedicated women and men all have busy lives, families, run your businesses, working in your businesses. Couldn't do it without you. And I just want to take this moment to let you know how much we appreciate that, our staff, our board. Uh, again, great organization, great Chamber of Commerce, and we're going to continue to move forward. So I look forward to the next CEO update and everyone have a great week. And that's basically it. I hope you've had as much fun listening as I had putting this together for you. I want to thank Patty Shea, Melissa Geesland, Bob Savage, Valerie Eddy, Sean Hunt, Donnie Waters, Linda Dwyer, Carrie Todd, and I most especially want to thank Bill Chambers and the rest of the Salisbury Area Chamber of Commerce team. We are going to have a wonderful 2020. This is just the beginning. I hope you'll tune in next time for our In Business Podcast. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.